welcome to SED. I'm your host, Jane Dagme, Editor-in-Chief of Designers Today. SED covers the wonderful industry of interior design from various, often eclectic, angles. At its most literal, SED is the spoken complement to what's written in the pages of our magazine. Esoterically speaking, SED, S-A-I-D, stands for Something About Interior Designers. In a nutshell, the podcast is devoted to the ongoing curiosity and admiration we have for these diverse, passionate, and often quirky individuals. SED celebrates the way they think, work, live, and define themselves. Enough said. Let's get into our show. Hi, and welcome back to SED. It's been a while. Today on the podcast, I am excited to have you meet Arjav Shah. Arjav is a senior interior project designer in the New York studio of global design firm Perkins & Will. We spoke from the company's new studio, which opened during COVID and is considered a learning lab. As you'll hear in our conversation, getting people back to the office safely and purposefully is one of Arjav's newest challenges. Arjav was born in Mumbai, India, a high achiever with great grades and exceptional skills at drawing and sketching. He loved fashion, but we'll tell you why he chose architecture and design for a career. After earning a Bachelor of Architecture in Mumbai, he moved to New York in 2006 to get his Master of Science in Interior Design at Pratt. While he loved the fast pace of the city, which echoed Mumbai's hustle and bustle, it took him a while to acclimate holistically and to find his groove. Through a variety of diverse projects and extensive travel, And with the support of incredible mentors, Arjav basically came of age at Perkins and Will, where he now celebrates 13 years. Grateful for the support he received and continues to receive, he's chosen to give that experience to others to pay it forward. He said, remembering the profound effect mentorship had on me as a student, I choose to do the same. I volunteer with the international students at Pratt Institute to help guide them through the same challenges I faced when I came to study in the U.S., such as language barriers and low self-esteem. In the podcast, Arjav shares what it was like growing up in a traditional Indian family, the challenges he faced as a foreigner in the United States, and how he likes to express his individuality. We discuss the role design plays in health and wellness, the future of office design, and his unwavering love of fashion. Arjev says a lot of good things in this podcast, and this quote is one of my favorite. He said, I'm a firm believer that if I can wear a certain textile, I can specify that on a job. Now, it's your turn to meet Arjev Shah. Thank you so much for being here. So I graduated in 2008 during the Great Recession, and uh, there were not that many jobs out there. And like you were just saying, I wanted to also design restaurants and hotels, and I wanted to work for Yabu Pushalbar. And I studied at Pratt, and my final thesis review actually had one of the senior directors from Yabu Pushalbar uh, attend one of my crits. And so, you know, we connected, and after that, I emailed him and was very optimistic, hopeful that I will land a job with them. But because of the economy, you know, there was the one things available and Perkins and Will at that time, interview, I interviewed with them and they were extremely busy and they, they offered me a job. This was 
this has been my only job out of school. It's been 12 and a half years. I'll, I'll be 13 years in August. And, you know, this is really where I grew up. And uh, I started here as a junior designer right out of school. And then slowly, with experience, sort of came up to be a senior project interior designer. And I'm also a senior associate with Perkins & Paul. So I'm part of, you know, the leadership program now. And it's been an extremely rewarding journey. And to answer your question, my role really is uh, I do a lot of client-facing work. So we work with a lot of big uh, companies, Fortune 100 and 500 companies, to really help them come up with a vision for the future of the office, the future of their spaces. Um, and I, I started at, at Perkins & Wall doing um, K-12 through and higher ed work, so a lot of institutional work. I've done a bit of retail uh, when we had the opportunity to do retail. And then my passion really lied in designing office environments. And, you know, we all work in offices. And I know that due to COVID-19, things are different. And that also creates a whole different challenge when people do come back into the office what does that office look like right we right. are all still experimenting we don't know what the answer is but it's exciting because this is going to bring about a very good change a change in a positive way and and so i uh usually the design leader so there is a a, a design director and then so i'm working very closely with with the design director but at times uh, i also have um complete autonomy on the way the project shapes up. You know, I'm presenting our work in front of the clients. I'm listening to them. I am making sense or, you know, putting their ideas or what their vision is into the third dimension. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I do. And then I'm also guiding uh, junior and intermediate designers, um, you know, and hopefully someday they will have this position. And, you know, we, we just all need to somehow mentor them to be prepared for this role. So that's really, in a nutshell, that's what I do um, as a senior designer. Okay. So now you, you're you sitting in your New York office, which is generally not open to, to um, workers yet, but I hear it's a new office and it's kind of conceived as a learning lab because you yeah. are sort of relearning what an office space is. So tell me a little bit about that. And have you been involved in the design of this New York studio? So I was briefly involved in the design of the New York studio. Um, the, the one good thing, and yes, we do call it uh, an office lab um, because we are trying a very different model. We, back when we were in an old office, we had assigned seats here in our new office. Things are different right now because we are not using the office and because of, you know, just COVID concerns. I am, I have an assigned desk right now. But moving forward past the pandemic, this is going to be an open address environment, meaning there are no assigned seats. When you come in, you can reserve a desk for the day and um, you're very agile. And especially now, I think this model helps a lot is when people have, you know, leaders have realized that uh, work can happen from home. Before there was a mentality where you're working from home. Are you seriously working or not, right? And things have changed because, you know, look at our office. Everyone's working from home. We are still meeting our deadlines. We are still being able to deliver projects. So 
I, I think that mentality has changed in a good way. And so people in the future will have more flexibility to um, work from home. So, so it makes sense not to have assigned seats because if person A is working from home, I could technically come in and occupy that seat. And then when I'm working from home, person A can come back to the seat. So we are shrinking the square footage you need. If you had all assigned seats, we would not fit in this space right now because we made a conscious decision that we want to move to this model. We want to reduce the square footage in New York City. That's a lot of dollars, right? So um, that's why I think it's, and there, there are going to be challenges, but we will figure it out. That's what, that's the whole lab model, right? Like right. we learn from our decisions and then we try to refine them and make it work. The question, just because I always have a lot of stuff, like, will there be, are there lockers? Like if you've got things that you want to, you know, keep in the office, is that, you can do that? So that was the constant struggle we had because we do have people who who like to have stuff and they don't like to have stuff because they're hoarders, but that's how they work, right? And that's important to them. Um, As of now, I'm going to show you, we have... This is my life. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Um, and um, it slides under my desk. So there's a space for it. In addition to that, we do have lockers where we can, you know, put some personal items. But we don't have that much storage right now. And um, that's going to be once. See, what happened was we moved into this office. And it was right during the pandemic. So people have not really lived in this space yet, right? Once people come back, that's when all of these issues will come up. And then we will have to find creative solutions for it. Right. But as of now, each person has a bin like this and um, we make it work. Right. And there were constant, you know, even when we were planning this, there were questions about hey like i have books that i want for inspiration i have materials that you know excite me and i might want to use that on a future project where do i put that stuff and these questions came from me too because that's how i work Mm -hmm. i'm a tactile person and um while we have some personal storage we we don't have a lot and that's the compromise we have to make right Right. Find hiding places around the, around the office. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's a nice big desk, so I could, I could have a little spot here, but then the thing is, if it's not an assigned seat, I can't leave that stuff here because someone else might occupy the seat tomorrow. So it's interesting. It, it's organic, right? I mean, it's organic. So means there are a lot of organizations have that have made it work to shrink their, you know, real estate in New York city. Right. Now, yes. that they, they might not be design firms, not always, but there are some of us who are being on the on the forefront of this and trying to change it because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, design firms don't have a lot of fee to afford fancy offices in New York City, right? Like, they don't have that much money to put into real estate. So, um we are fortunate that we are a, you know a bigger firm and so we can we can have a nice office um uh, facing broadway and it's a beautiful space and i would love to host you someday if if you're ever in new york city um i would love to it's like nice tall ceilings and like 
floor to ceiling glass. It's it's nice, um, but yeah. not every firm has that. What's that? Not every company can afford that, right? Like not every it, smaller firms cannot. For sure. So I want to I want to hear about how you how you came to design. You know, you grew up in Mumbai. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit about you as a kid and then, you know, oh, I'm going to go to New York, you know, like t- talk about that. Absolutely. It's a, it's an interesting story, I think. Um, so I am born and raised in Mumbai. It's a big city, just like New York, and it's the commercial capital of India. Uh, a lot of people from all over India come to Mumbai to make money and, you know, hopefully earn a better life. Um, and, um, so hustle bustle was always something I was used to. Um, and, um, growing up, um, when I finished, um, school, um, I had very good grades and, um, I was always, uh, I always leaned towards the arts. I, I saw myself as being a creative person. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was growing up, I was very good with sketching. And so um, my parents got me private tutors um, and all the possible help I needed to sort of refine my sketching abilities. I also did some paintings like oil on canvas. So I, it, it was fun to me. It was exciting. And then once I uh, came out of school, I, I had a very good percentile. So we go by percentage and not uh, GPA right here um and uh i wanted to be a fashion designer um you have to understand there is a, a certain uh genderization which is um connected to certain professions so for example fashion design is an easy profession it's mainly for women our job You've got excellent grades. Why would you want to waste your life studying fashion? Fashion equals tailoring. You'll end up as a tailor. You will not make enough money. How are you going to support a family? All of these questions come up, right? And um, so due to certain pressures, family pressures, I ended up not pursuing fashion. Um, but I always did want to do something connected to art and design. And I was interested in interior design and architecture. And I somehow thought architecture bridges the gap between art, design, and engineering. Mm-hmm. And my dad is an engineer. And he wanted me to become an engineer or a doctor. And that too, if, if you know any other Indians living in the United States, doctors, finance, lawyers it that's that's what indians do right when they come here and you will find very few indians who actually go into architecture and design and i'm one of those um and and i am so so happy that i chose this over any of those professions even though i would have had a bigger a better life a bigger bank balance right now but i am so content with with what I'm doing right now. So that's how I um, I took an, um, in India, when you have to get into architecture school, you have to take an exam, um, which 
if you pass that exam, you qualify to go into architecture school, right? Um, and I stood first in the state of Maharashtra as the state and Mumbai as a city in Maharashtra. I stood first in the entire state. And I think that's when my dad realized that, you know what? He's good at this and he should do it. And so I went through school um, studying architecture and he was the one who pushed me to come to New York and get a degree over here. And, and, and that's the thing with my parents. I mean, they love me. I have a very special bond with them. And they have supported me all throughout. But there were some, definitely some social pressures, like, you know, the society and the way, the mentality over there that affected the choice of me not doing fashion and going into architecture. Does that, does that make sense? Totally. Oh. Yes. So, uh, and so then I came here, I studied interior design because I wanted to come closer to my original passion. And so I was like, you know what? Interior design is to do with textiles and finishes. You know, it's tactile. It's closer to fashion for me. And so I did that. And now I work as an interior architect. Um, and I do fashion on my own for myself. So I design clothes. I have a very talented tailor back in India who, who constructs them for me. Um, and it gives me immense joy. I am the client. I'm the designer. I do it for myself. If it fails, I am responsible. And if it works, which it has worked in the past, it, it, it's just great. And now I have this uh, almost like an identity, like I'm building my own brand where people associate me with, oh, it's that guy working. They might not know my name, but they know that there's this designer, Perkins and Wall, who, you know, makes clothes sometimes out of upholstery fabrics, you know, like, so creating my own brand and being authentic is very important to me. Um, and that's really my journey through, through this whole thing from, uh, from, you know, growing up in Mumbai to ending up doing interior design. Does, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I love that you are able to bring that, you know, figured out how to do the fashion thing as well. Do you, um, so I'm sure the tailor over there has all your measurements and you yes. send him fabric and say, you know, jacket, jacket and I'm jealous. Yeah, I wish I, I could show you because I literally was at a client's office uh, a few years ago and I'm wearing this jacket. It, it was, uh, Maharam is a textile company um, and um, Paul Smith did a whole line of fabrics for Maharam. Um, and uh, there's a fabric called the Exaggerated Plaid. It's a 100% wool fabric. Um, and I was wearing a jacket made out of it. And I literally walk into this client's office and there's a sofa upholstered in that fabric. And I somewhere have a picture of me sitting on the sofa and it's almost like a camouflage. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was ridiculous, but it made a connection um, with the client too. You know, they always remember me for that, even though it's so stupid, but it sounds stupid, but it, it, it No, was it doesn't great. at all. I mean, I, cause so, you know, like I said, most of my um, fashion is really important. I mean, fashion does express who you are. And when we have our, like our furniture markets and everything, what people show up in, you know, it's a big deal. And I usually will do 
stories with designers. I'll be like, show me like, I'll do a shoe story, you know, show me your shoes or pick out, show me an outfit you're bringing to market and why you picked it. There's a lot of thought that goes into it, you know, for myself and, and everything else. Well, I am officially jealous of, because I fantasize about this all the time. Like, and I've talked to certain companies, um, like performance fabrics. I'm like, just make me a suit. And then let's do this thing at market where somebody comes up to me and throws wine on my clothes. And I'm like, Oh, don't worry about it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And, there'll be, and also, you know, some of the stuff um, I have got made from those fabrics, it's going to last me a lifetime. Forget the, the you know, spilling of wine or anything, but it, they're just such durable fabrics that they're never going to rip. You know, they, they're not going to be cuts anywhere. Like some of my stuff could be fitted, but I never feel like, Oh my God, like I'm going to bend down and the, the pants are going to rip, right? right. Like, like 80,000 rubs. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, no, it is so much fun. It's just so rewarding. And I have my little sketches that I'll send to my tailor, maybe give him some inspiration photos of, you know, the kind of cuts I want. Um, and then, yeah, he makes it. And I have been very um, happy with the way things have turned out. They always fit well. Um, it, it's, it's good. Someday I will share that with you. Yeah, I'm already, I have ideas that will, but that's for another time. I have a lot of ideas. Um, if you could, you know, besides your, your own self as fashion designer, if you were going to wear a certain designer pretty much exclusively, who would you go? Who would you? If I could exclusively afford this designer, it would be Alexander McQueen. Yeah. I mean, that man was magnificent. He was so talented. And it's a huge loss to the creative world um, that he passed away. And I I, I still remember the, um, the exhibit at the Met uh, after his passing, um, you know, when they showed his entire, a lot of his collections. And I was in... In, in that exhibition for about four hours and I was just lost. And it, it's, he's a huge inspiration for me. And also seeing now how they have, after him, taken the brand forward, but have not lost that uh, edginess as well as they really experiment with things. Mm. Um, and just that attention to detail it's 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 brilliant so yeah that would be my choice hey listeners it's jane dagmy editor-in-chief of designers today i'm so glad you found our podcast did you also know that we print our magazine eight times a year and mail it to your home or office yes interior design professionals can request a complimentary subscription by simply going to designerstoday.com and clicking on the button at the top that says subscribe. It's that simple. And while you're there, if you hit the newsletter tab, you can sign up for our weekly news, as well as that of our sister publications. And now back to our show. So, all right, you, you graduate, uh, you come to New York, and what's it like for you? And can I add one more thing? I just never thought of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, uh, I'm a firm believer that if I can wear a certain textile, 
I can specify that on my job. Does that oh, just, does that make sense? Like absolutely. literally, I, you know, sometimes I'm like looking at these new fabrics that come out. I'm just like, oh wow, this would make an excellent shirt. Like, I would love to see this in like in, on like a pair of shorts or something. And to me, that's like an instant connection that I love this because I can, if I can wear this textile, I will certainly specify that. I tell that to a lot of the fabric manufacturers that when you show me stuff and you see me doing that, you know it, that I love them. As far as, as far as fabrics, I'm just going to go one place before I wanted to go where I was going. But so nowadays, how are you going out and seeing fabrics? Are you going to showrooms now? Are they sending you... Samples, how is it working? It's been it's been a real challenge, to be honest. Um, and I told you I would, I'm a tactile person, so I like working. I like making a mess. You know, it's it's a curated mess, but it, it is still a mess. And um, it's it's been a struggle. Unfortunately, um, all through COVID, most of my projects have been beyond the design stage. So they are either in the, you know, the construction document phase or some of them are getting built. So there's a lot of site related stuff. So I don't need to put pallets together right now, which has been good for me. But I have some new projects starting and I think about it and it worries me because, you know, our library has not been updated for a while now because we are not allowed to bring outsiders in. So how am I getting exposed to what's current is, is becoming a huge problem. And um, we have had some manufacturers send us stuff and then the librarian comes in maybe once a day to organize everything. But it's not happening to the level that it did, you know, in a normal situation where we had you know, lunch and learns and uh, trade shows happening every week and product updates. Like when reps come in, they would go through the binders, they would remove all the old stuff, put the new stuff in. Yeah, I, I don't know how to answer that for you, but it's a struggle right now. What I want to know is, I want to know what it was like when you got to New York for yourself. You know, um, you, I don't know how old you were when you got here, but um, tell me about the challenges of a, outsider you know yeah absolutely um i was 24 when i got to the united states first trip to the united states first trip to new york city um being a city dweller um i think i was used to density i was used to population um and so none of that really affected me in fact i like that about new york you know, um, there was a bit of nervousness just um, being able to assimilate into a brand new culture, mm-hmm. uh, how I would be perceived as a student in school. Would my accent be okay? Would people be able to understand me when I'm giving a presentation and, you know, there are my professors sitting down there judging me? Like, I had all of these thoughts in my head. and it. Uh, and a little about me, I, I was a, a, a shy kid. Um, so I still sometimes have a stage fright, you know. Um, and uh, so it was it was very intimidating. I was scared. I was all alone here. I didn't have my mom and dad here to protect me. Um, uh, so 
it was it was interesting um i was very confused shy and so it took me a long time jane to to break through some of those barriers and even when i started at perkins and wall i was one of those who would come into the office i would work for 8 10 hours if there's a deadline even more i would be quietly working i would take whatever is given to me uh, because there was also sort of this pressure on me that hey you know my dad just put me through school like a private school at pratt you know he 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 paid for my entire education so on a good side i don't have any student loans to pay back but at the same time i need to prove myself and i needed sponsorship for my visas i needed eventually i wanted to get a green card and be here right and so when you have all of these pressures you you become submissive sometimes and uh you just and that's how i took it listen you know someone else might not have done it that way but like i was foreign to this land and new to a lot of people and i just did everything to please someone you know professionally like just you want this done you want this done by 10 o'clock tonight absolutely i'm going to do it right and um i think that that moment of self acceptance really came when i was given more responsibility and when i was put in front of clients and you know the first few presentations were a struggle but then when i saw that clients are actually latching on and hearing what i have to say and appreciating what i bring to the table that really built my confidence You wrote to me about a project that meant a lot to you um that was in Sydney, Australia and um can you tell me about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So um this project was it's one of the milestone projects in my career when I um was to sort of an intermediate designer but working directly with my design director um who was also my mentor um John Blumenthal she is amazing um i have a lot of respect for her um and uh this is a client who was looking for high design but also not just design that looks good but also a highly efficient and uh well performing office design um it was in sydney uh this is a big media company uh and uh they have offices all over the world we've done quite a few of the offices um and i had the privilege of working on three to four of the offices one of them was in sydney um and uh it was a nice budget you know that's always a designer's dream um and but at the same time we had to make it perform and it won a lot of accolades accolades in um in asia pacific um and it was at that time one of the most sustainable uh office designs uh in asia pacific in australia it it won lead platinum with about 89 points which was like the highest we sort of um you know overpassed like 
some of the thresholds that lead in 2014 was asking for lead uh, now has a lot more stringent uh, rules and regulations and like credits that you need to uh, satisfy to get you know any sort of accreditation now uh, or certification but back then it, it wasn't so structured as it is now and so we we really did a lot better than what they were asking for like the base requirements mm-hmm. um and it was a very proud moment uh, and that's when i really realized that we as workplace designers and you know i did want to always do hospitality and retail design restaurants but the amount of control we have as workplace designers to also change the experience of a person. I mean, how many hours do we work in an office? A lot more than we're probably even at home sometimes, right? And the fact that we can mold those human experiences and also design around health and well-being was, it taught me a lot. And it changed my my perspective uh, towards design. But before I was like, does the space always need to perform? Let's just make it pretty, right? And now I think of it very differently. I'm like, yes, I do want to make it pretty and I do want to get it photographed and I want my project to win awards. But at the same time, I want to make sure that the end user is equally happy and is um, and it the space is actually helping these companies to do their jobs better. That's important. And that, I think, is our differentiator at Perkins and Bo, where we truly think about um, the kind of materials we specify on jobs, right? Like material health is very important to us. Uh, health and well-being of the end users is very important to us. We always, you know, a lot of times we do post-occupancy surveys to make sure that the spaces we designed are performing the way they're supposed to. Um, and there are only a handful of companies who do that. And I take, I take pride in that. Mm-hmm. So that sort of really changed my career in a way. I think that <clears throat> I've always looked at, and I, I don't go deep into um, workplace design, I, but I have always found it fascinating, uh, super fascinating because it, it there is so much thought behind it and functionality. And um, I think that there's a trend now, you know, going into the home as well to think about things like that, especially with the pandemic, you know, health and well-being of everybody. And because we are working at home, so it's like more than we're working at the office now, right? There's been that, that shift. Um, I was going to. One of the biggest challenges now that we are facing right now, and a lot of clients are coming back to us, is you know, we've seen in the last year how people, you know, are working from home. That's great. But we want to bring people back into the office. How do we do that? Right? Like, that is something that we are exploring now with a lot of our clients that, you know, hey, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We are working towards that. Right. And, you know, there's a whole, the mentorship model, the collaboration model. This is great right now, but I'd rather do this with you in person where, you know, I can just be in a room with you and have this dialogue. Because, you know, some of those 
things that I was talking to you about, I get uncomfortable sometimes talking through a camera lens to you, you know, like my the personal stuff mm-hmm. of, in my life. Um, but in any ways, um, that's, that's going to be a challenge. And we are still figuring out what we can do uh, to bring people back. And it's never going to be, people are not going to come back 100%. Like, I think the, the model is going to change. It's, it's sort of disrupted the industry. Uh, people will be working from home a few days and maybe coming into the office a few days. It's never going to be either or. Did, did you and your teams and your leadership teams, have you had big conversations about this, like brainstorming thought, you know, conversations? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's also, uh, you know, like globally, Perkinson World also has a research labs and we do a lot of re- uh, research uh, on topics like this. And we've written white papers, um, you know, and I am not, uh, personally involved on some of that just because I'm doing a lot of, you know, client facing work, but we have all of that knowledge at our fingertips and we can tap into that and apply that on our projects. So that's, you know, one of the advantages of working for a a bigger company where the New York studio, when you come, when you get a chance to visit this feels like a, a, like a smaller, medium sized office. Mm -hmm. So we have that sort of vibe and, you know, uh, we don't we're not very formal when we are in the studio but then we also have this like umbrella of knowledge above us that we can tap into at any time you know uh, which is in my opinion it's perfect yeah i was curious about um what your personal style is as well like at home you know what i know about what you're wearing but what about what you're living in What's um, so, um, in 2019, um, I bought a place in Manhattan. Um, it's a small one-bedroom, but it's in this beautiful 1930s building. Um, um, and uh, I am in the process of furnishing it. And, you know, sometimes, um, especially during COVID, like I did a bunch of home improvement things and it just gives me immense joy to sort of make this apartment my home mm-hmm. um and what is my style i definitely am uh, more of a minimalist modern person um however my recent project experiences uh have forced me to think otherwise so um uh, for the last Three years, I've been working with a client who is looking for, um, I wouldn't say tr- traditional, but a current classic aesthetic, meaning they want some of those classic elements in the design, which could be, you know, the wood paneling, the moldings and all of that. But then they are also looking to infuse some uh, level of, um, mo- not modern, but like a fresh current take on some of the older styles of interior design Mm -hmm. so it's been it's it was very new to me i've never that that is personally not my style but it has exposed me to this whole different whole other level of things that now i'm trying to source out some of those and i want my apartment to reflect that because it has changed my aesthetic 
my design aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, to me, yes, I am a senior designer, but I am still learning, and I learned a lot from that project. So every project in the future, I think I'm I'm gonna see it differently than the projects. Like for example, the the Sydney project. If I show you photos, you'd be like super clean, lots of glass, beautiful views looking out, but the interior is minimal because that whole project was about celebrating the views. Like we have like, you know, the Sydney Opera House, the Sydney Harbour view is looking out. So we we wanted the interior to be very minimal so it doesn't compete with that. Mm-hmm. This project, it's really about looking inside. It's it's about plush interiors, warmth, a lot of wood paneling, like gorgeous ceilings, like chandeliers, you know, very different. Um, and so if you just put those two next to each other, you'd be like, is this really by the same designer? Because you, you would not be able to tell. And that's what I like, though. I like the diversity of projects that we have here at Perkins and Wall. It's not, we're not um, a studio-based um, environment where oh, okay, you're in the law firm studios. All you're going to do is law firms, you know, and that's what you'll be doing for 30 years. No, we we bring teams together based on the project requirements. So it's really about who the client is, what the project is, and then we build a team around it. So people also get the opportunity to work with, at some point, everyone, right? Because we mix and match, right? It's, it's great. I, I like that. Thanks so much for listening to Seb. I sincerely hope you got something of value from the podcast that feeds your brain and fills your heart. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you're in the interior design trade and related industries and would like to sign up for a complimentary subscription to the printed or digital magazine, visit designerstoday.com right now and sign up. Until next time.